Welcome to How Did You Manage That, a podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, the lows, the highs, and everything in between. I'm Ali McRae. I'm Sophie Pallock. Once again, a big thank you to everyone who listened to our last episode with Josh, aka Manager Josh, Manager of Dodie. We had some amazing comments, um, mainly about his coat, to be honest, that was in the picture. So I feel like that might have stole the show a little bit. But again, thank you so much, everybody, for listening, sharing, sending your emails, DMs. It means so, so much to us. Yeah, it was great to get that episode out straight after uh, The Great Escape. This week, we've got another really exciting manager to chat to. And uh, Sophie caught up with Sarah Gallagher, the manager of platinum-selling UK superstar, Ollie Mars. Yes, so exciting. (laughs) Sarah works for Modest Management, a phenomenally successful management company who made the likes of One Direction and Little Mix the global superstars that they truly are today. Ollie is one of the very few solo stars who came from reality TV and actually made it big, big. He's had to date four number one singles and four number one albums after touring for over 10 years and he has sold a whopping 1.8 million tickets and only gone and sold out the O2. That is so many shows. Ollie isn't just a pop star though. He is also a TV presenter as a coach and a judge himself on The Voice, uh, managing to do what I guess very few acts can do today and cross over into the world of TV in their own right. It's through Sarah's incredible guidance and support at Modest that Ollie is the superpower he is today. So let's hear all about her journey, the person behind Mr. Murs. Oh, and just quickly, once again, Ali was up in sunny Scotland. Well, I don't know. Can you call it sunny Scotland, Ali? I don't know. I mean, can you? it's June in Scotland, so absolutely not. It's so bleak. But yeah, I've been working <laughs> on a TV show that I'm launching with the BBC. So I left you flying solo for this one, which is a shame because I would have loved to have chatted to Sarah. But the chat that you had with her was really, really interesting. So I think we should get straight into that right now. Of course, I grabbed Sarah for a coffee and a chat in the Modest offices. Here we go. How Did You Manage That is a podcast brought to you by the Music Managers Forum, aka the MMF and AWOL. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm here in the lovely, modest offices. It is a, it's a Tuesday, right? It is Definitely a Tuesday, a Tuesday after a post-bank holiday weekend. It is. And we are here to talk about all things music management with you today. Yeah, so yeah. thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Don't be silly. It's a pleasure. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey into music management to start off with? Like how, where you started, where it came from? Yeah, okay. So I um, went to uni to study English didn't really have a clue how I would work in music. Not really on my radar, always been a passion of mine, but I actually thought about potentially having a career in like music journalism or something, thinking of a way to marry the two. Um, But it wasn't until I was in my final year of uni and I was doing some things like club promotion things and uh, you know uh, working with an under 18s company doing their marketing for them and stuff like that just to, to make extra money but it was actually my brother my younger brother was at brit school ben thomas um and he um was very good friends with adele they're in the same year and became her guitarist basically and i he was 16 years old um and i was just helping him as a big sister i was genuinely just know helping him with his air miles on his flights and doing his invoices and setting up his royalties and PPL and things like that that I just he didn't have a clue about doing but um it that was essentially what got me into it I just sort of was helping him as a big sister and thought this is organizing his life as a favor and actually I kind of enjoy it um so then when I left uni I thought you know what I'm going to give music a go and I applied for probably 300 jobs. I think I bought the Music Week directory and I literally emailed everybody in it. Back like in the day, studios, the old music publishers, directory. anything. Because I had no clue what kind of sector of music I wanted to go into. I just thought I'd give it a go. And I think out of about 300 emails, I got two replies. And one of which was uh, Zeta at Zeb Management timing perfect timing she was she had an assistant that was going off on holiday and she needed a hand and she just said will you come in and work for free for uh you know the future for see how long you know I I lasted there basically and it was a it was a small company and I went in basically on an internship 
for free, just absorbed everything like a sponge and ended up staying there three and a half years. Wow. So, yeah, it was just luck and timing and perseverance and then just having that one person that took a chance. You did get paid after three years, though. I, I eventually got paid, yeah. <laughs> I did get paid, but um, but yeah, I, I probably you know for six months I was just just happy to be there, and 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 because she had such a small company, I just learned so much in those three years. How did you? This is something that I think a lot of people are trying to get into music now face more, which is how did you survive not being paid for those six months? Um, so after uni, I moved home, and I just commuted in home. I was very very lucky in my parents would drive me to the station at six o'clock in the morning to get a train pick me up at 11 o'clock at night after I'd been to a gig because I think they just you know they saw that I was determined and willing to work for free so it must be something that I really enjoyed and that I really wanted to do um and uh, you know they, I, they were just very very supportive and I you know I was with my now husband at the time and he bankrolled me basically he just helped me you know I just I didn't have to pay rent I'd wrapped up a student debt but I you know I, I think I, I was getting paid expenses you know for for an internship and it wasn't even covering my train fare so it but it was crazy but I was well aware that you know it's creative industries so seen as such a desirable industry we were getting calls from people in the office that lived locally while I was there, picking up the phone and saying, uh, you know, I live down the road. I'd love to come and work for your work for free. And I was like, sorry, no vacancies. <laughs> Thinking these guys are going to take my job and I'm not even being paid. But people would have, I felt replaceable even being being there for free. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how so many people want to do the job and there's so few jobs in the industry I think you just grab onto it with both hands don't you and you just do whatever you need to do you hustle and you just you know work hard so you did your three years with Zeta yeah and then where did you go so then I decided I loved management but I wanted to be a bit more hands-on uh, from songwriters and producers I wanted to get involved with an artist career so I knew I wanted to do artist management so then I went to Xenomania for a very short stint. I think I was there about six weeks before I got made redundant. Um, so I worked for Brian Higgins. Um, he was building a team. And it was one of the best things I ever did, really. Because even though it was so short-lived, and he actually decided that that wasn't really what he wanted to do from, in terms of building that company, it really gave me a taste of it. You know, he had quite a few artists that had just got signed and I was managing one of them. Um, this guy called Alex Gardner, who was signed to A&M. And um, I just absolutely loved it. I just thought, this is where I want to be. I want to do artist management. And then I th literally thought my world had ended when I got made redundant. I was absolutely devastated because I loved it. But it was, it was sort of the, you know, assurance that I needed that this is what I want to do. And then I joined a couple of music recruitment companies and I think it was probably about a month or two later, you know, when I'd, my, I wasn't getting paid anymore and I was starting to panic a bit and I was like, I just need a job. Um, and I got sent for my job at Modest and um, they said to me, you don't have as much experience that they require, but they've been looking for a while to fill this position and they haven't met anyone that they like. So I came in to have an interview with them and I was well aware that I didn't have the experience that, that they wanted. I think they wanted three years artist management experience. And um, I just I just really connected with my bosses, Richard and Harry. And I found out a few years later that, that Richard wasn't sure. Richard was like, she's not got enough experience. But Harry took a chance on me and he just said, I like her. She thinks, you know, I think she's determined to prove herself and she's going to give it a go and she's going to try really hard let's just give her a, give her a try and so here I am 10 years later I like the fact that I'll say like the fact that you got made redundant <laughs> or you got let go because I, somebody always said to me everybody who's really good at their job has been let go at least once yeah I think it's character building as well you know I think this industry is so it's such a tough industry that you have to be thick-skinned. And I think if you, you get handed everything on a plate, it doesn't necessarily make you 
a good manager. I think for me, having that experience, it really made me value what, you know, what I wanted to do. And it made me realise, you know, I have to work hard for it. Now I have to prove myself to get my next job. And I think that mentality of, of kind of proving yourself and pushing and hustling, it, that's kind of, you know, one of the key components of being a manager. So actually... You know, I, I all of my experiences working for Zeta, then Brian Higgins, and you know, has made me the manager I am now. I think um, so. I've been very shaped by that. So you come into Modest. Mm -hmm. Harry obviously gives you the chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start assisting, or you start managing artists straight away. And how did you come across the uh, the guy that we now know as Ollie Murs? Yeah. So. I actually got th massively thrown at the deep end. I think they were like, right, you got your job. Now I need to prove that you deserve it. And I think, um, so I came in this September. They had the X Factor contract. I was basically employed to manage the winner of the X Factor. So I had three months, basically, crash course. Um, and as the acts were coming off the X Factor... I was getting some of the acts that were coming like eighth, seventh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I had this girl, Lucy Jones, started managing her, went on the road with her for a bit, got to know the, the business side, you know, the management side. And then um, they gave me Lamar and I was managing Lamar, basically. Um, and that was an amazing crash course as well because it was a completely different artist. He was at a very different point in his career you know he'd had a successful career already and he was at a point where he was doing a greatest hits album so it was a very kind of different artist to manage I was also given a girl band that we we had at the time that was signed to Universal so they were starting out they were a group they had a co-manager that came from ex externally so I had a real kind of you know mix of things to learn from um, you know, someone signed to a major, someone just starting out, someone coming off a reality show. You know, so I really was thrown in at the deep end. I, I was working crazy hours, but I just loved it. I just loved, you know, the the work and, and, and just learning on the job. I just fully embraced it. And then how I came about managing Ollie was, again, kind of pure chance. I was in the car going to the X Factor final with one of the other managers and the two of us were going to split first, second and third. And we agreed in the car that she would actually take first place and I would take second and third. Who was first place that year? Joe McEldry. Oh, OK. So we decided that on the way to the final. And to think that that conversation has kind of defined my 10 years at Modest, that I was basically, due to that conversation, destined to manage... Ollie, who came runner-up. I mean, secretly, I wanted I wanted him to come second. So I was watching the final thinking, come on, come on, Merz, come second, and then I can take you. <laughs> Is that because you felt there's less pressure on him? He could sort of come away a little bit and develop and you could really think about the record you wanted to make with him. Whereas I suppose if you're first place, a lot of the time it's... And, yeah, and they don't but know you've, so got, much to, you've got to remember but... that actually in 2009, it wasn't so much... I mean, JLS were the year before, so they had... They, d they didn't win either. So, yes, that, that, that was kind of a model. But it, this was before Little Mix and One Direction. So that kind of stigma of not coming first and, and, you know, actually being able to have more freedom wasn't really established then in 2009. So, no, I mean, I'll be honest, purely selfishly, I was like, I think Ollie's got what it takes. I would love to manage him. So I was secretly keeping my fingers crossed that I'd get him. And I did. Okay, so you've obviously decided in a car journey who you're going to manage for the rest of your life, pretty much. Well done on that. Um, and then obviously you have to, I presume that you had to meet him or you'd met him before. Yes. Was there any way that, I mean, obviously Modis had, had the, the contract at the yeah. time to manage the X Factor acts, yeah. but was there any way that you had to sort of court him in a way and, and convince him that you were right for the job? Or was he just very like, oh, okay, Do you no, know what? you say she's good, you say they she's did, good? All the contestants did actually get a sit-down meeting with, you know, to, to be told and explained that you have a management company, they had to sign a contract beforehand, etc. But Ollie was in such a bubble. He was so focused every week on... Uh, you know, the task in hand, just getting through to the next week, concentrating on his music, that he was so blinkered by it. He didn't really think of what might happen after the show. So genuinely, when he came second, he thought, 
well, that's it. Um, you know, I'm screwed. I've, I've lost and I've got to go back to my day job. He really didn't have a clue. And then I had to go up to him afterwards when he's absolutely devastated, being consoled by his family in the bar. And I'm like, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm your manager. You know, here's my number. Take my number and I'll call you tomorrow and we'll, and we'll work out what's going to happen next. And he was just, he looked at me like completely baffled. He, 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 I just don't think it registered that he could have a career off the back of it. it, it he was just in the moment, you know, um, and I'll always, I'll always remember that. And I think, you know, we got him to get a, a BlackBerry because it was like, you know, just a Hotmail address and no, you know, having to go onto the computer and check his emails to see if I'd messaged him. And it was just, just absolutely bizarre it was like right now we're going to start working and he had no clue he really just didn't think that his career would have the trajectory it's had off the back of the show do you think because he came from x factor that gave him an advantage in the sense that he if, if i just pick up an artist off the street tomorrow that i found busking and i have to work them up yeah. from literally the ground yeah. up but ollie already had a bit of public love yeah, a bit of massively. i mean it's it's something that i get asked all the time and it's something that i'm quite passionate about as well because you know yes he was in people's living rooms and he had an amazing platform every weekend you know he was very very popular in 2009 when he came off the show he was doing two gigs a night up and down the country you know making money straight off the back of the show he had this amazing platform he was very popular but you know there's a lot of expectation on artists when they come off a reality tv show you, you only have to look at you know the 15 years that they've been running you know, how many artists are still selling records, how many artists have, have sustained that, how many artists have had, you know, more than one album. It's a very, it's, it's a process that enables artists to shoot up, to be incredibly well-known, but that is no measure of being successful in the music industry. And I think it's also something that there's a big stigma of in the industry. And I think, you know, I think Ollie had to work twice as hard to persuade people that he deserved his place in the industry. Because being in on a TV show, on a commercial TV show in people's living rooms is very different to music media and the music industry. You know, and we had to work very hard to get played on radio and get, you know, good press reviews and, and things like that. And I think it's with new artists starting from the ground up, they can take their time, you can develop, you can, you know, take a break and, and have a very, very incremental steps to climb, you know, and have that trajectory as kind of how you see fit and you can build it and, and everything like that. But you come off a show, it's like you're famous now. Now what do you do, you know, and you have a, a certain level of expectation. So I think it comes with its own challenges. And I think sustaining a career and being, being taken seriously when you've come off a reality TV show is just as hard as being an artist that has no, like no one knowing about them and having to, to you know, knock down doors and, and grow. It's just a different path. So you have him now and he's starting doing his gigging and he's going around with things. How did you guys have a conversation about the sort of, the first record he was going to make and how it was going to sound? Um, so... Very early on, we had um, Nick Raphael and Joe Charrington very keen to sign him at Epic then. Um, so we took Ollie out for lunch, me, my bosses, Richard and Harry, and we talked to him first of all about, you know, the music that he was passionate about, that he grew up listening to and, you know, personal taste really, what he, want, what he wanted to, um, to do and what he wanted to sound like. And obviously, you know, he was... He was Six months before, he's working in a call centre. We didn't expect him to have an opinion on a and -ing his record because he was very green to it. He'd never written a song before. But Nick and Joe were amazing fit for him because they had a vision, but they also really knew that he was incredibly charismatic, tonnes of personality, um, very entertaining. So they knew that it would be important for him to have ownership of whatever he put out and that he wasn't just, you know, just recording generic pop, song, pop songs by someone else. They wanted him to, to encourage him to write. So, you know, we talked a lot in our first few meetings about the kind of music that he loved. We played lots of records, you know, he grew up listening to Motown and, 
you know, entertaining music like James Brown and Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. You know, so we had a very musical sit-down chat to talk about, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then they just, you know, they put him in the room with great people that they thought would fit with him, like Steve Robson, Wayne Hector, you know, people like that very early on, um, to help shape a sound for him um, and just threw him in at the deep end. And, you know, it was sink or swim, but, you know, he wrote his his first few hits within the first few months, just working with these amazing people. So... It, it it was something. It was very collaborative, you know. Ollie was very empowered by his A and R, um, but at the same time, he really wanted to to write, and that's something that actually Robbie Williams said to him when he was on X Factor. He said to him, "If I could give you one piece of advice, it's to write your own songs, because if you write your own songs, when you are the one that's got to be the vehicle to go and promote it, you'll connect with it more." you're not singing someone else's songs. You're actually remembering being in the studio, writing it. You've put your blood, sweat and tears, you've put your own emotion into it. And then when you're actually going out there and you're going all around the world singing these songs and people are singing them back to you, it's going to mean so much more to you. And, and that's something that's always stuck with him. You know, he'll, we'll always listen to outside pitches, but there's nothing quite the same as writing a song like Dear Darling because it's, it's got a sentimental meaning and then having that become a success. Do you feel as a manager your relationship with him has developed and changed since you first started managing him? Because quite a few managers have said that they feel like their relationships with their artists are like another marriage that they sort of asked for but didn't at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, your relationship with your artist is paramount. Like, you have to have a great relationship. You know, your family, really, at the end of the day. I've, I've spent 10 years with Ollie. You know, that's a long time. Um, and it's definitely developed. Um, I think we've sort of grown up in the industry together in a way. You know, I was 24 when I started managing him. That's very young to sort of be figuring it out myself. And How old was he? 25. So he's a year older than me. So we've spent, you know, the best part of our 20s and early 30s collaborating and working together. So, you know, that's a really important time in people's careers, I think. It's really, you know, that's the time when you establish what you want to do and, and all that kind of thing. So... Um, yeah, I, I do think our relationship has changed. I think we've always got on, which I think is key. Um, but I think it's something that we constantly... I'm trying to think what to say. It's something that I'm always conscious of, of working on and assessing. It's about balance, like everything in life, and like a marriage as well. It's about kind of saying, OK, this is working, being quite intuitive, knowing... You know, I need to be a friend to him now. I need to just listen to him. And then other times to say, you know, he needs guidance. He needs steering. He doesn't want someone with splinters in their arse sitting on the fence. He wants someone to be assertive. He wants me to give him direction. You know, so I think that's something you just have to be a bit of a chameleon. You have to know this is what he needs from me now. This is what I need to give him another time you know it's it's something that you have to constantly change and wear different hats did you do you though find it a strain isn't the right word because that sound makes it sound like it's a chore but it is difficult I can imagine having to wear those different hats for somebody it can be a strain on your mental health as well which is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast and we yeah. want the, op the management community to be open about because mm. There is, and I've said this on loads of ep episodes, there, like you said, there's this thing that your mother, sister, therapist, friend, Absolutely. assistant, everything. How do you, obviously you make sure he's looked after and mm. you think about him and try and recognise what you need to be at him at the time and how yeah. he's feeling. But how do you look after yourself when sometimes maybe you think you've had a bad day or you're feeling the strain and the stress? And also we'll talk about maybe you're a new mum now. So yeah. you've got a little one to think about. How Another do you thing to balance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots of plates, lots yeah. of plates. So how do you look after yourself when you, when you realise that maybe it's, it's all a bit too much and your brain's feeling a bit frazzled and you need to, to downtime? It, to be honest, I, I would say there's, there's no real trick. I think for me, I just always have to try and look at balance. You know, I, it, is, it is true that you constantly are you're looking after someone else and managing someone else's career, so you kind of put yourself afterwards... 
Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've got a good network around me, good friends, good family, good husband. And I think it's just, it's just, it's just balance. You know, it's just about realizing I need to slow down. You know, I keep getting ill. I need to take some time out. I need to, you know, be selective in the things that I go to with Ollie. You know, back in the day, first few years, I pretty much mirrored his exact schedule. And then on top of having to travel around internationally and and then you know you also have to have time in the office to plan and strategize and you know action things um so you're kind of you're 24 7 um but you know you have to learn to take time out when your artist is taking a holiday you take your holiday and you know you, you just mirror their schedule you find things I found yoga in the last few years has been really good for my mindfulness because it's probably one of the only times I sit in a room and don't have a million things flying through my head and it's something I have to focus on I have to literally focus to try and clear thoughts out of my head um so it's just balance but you know sometimes I don't get it right you know in 10 years sometimes I'm absolutely exhausted and by Christmas I'm like you know feel like I'm just gonna every get every kind of cold and flu under the sun because it's the time I stop but, you know, then other times I get my balance, you know, much better. It's just it, it's just something you constantly have to check, check and you constantly have to assess. What's really interesting, I think, and, and you're one of the first managers that I've interviewed, obviously don't know what order these episodes will go out. So, But you, a lot of managers get a lot of success with a big artist, and Ollie is a big artist now. Mm. He's had numerous number ones, albums, mm. singles, and they just go alone. They go out on their own. And that's very, very common. Yeah. So, but you're still here and you're still in Modest. Mm. What is that about Modest that's made you think, do you know what, I could take him and I could make, you know, a lot of dosh on my own or whatever mm. and do it on my own. But there's obviously a part of you that realises that being here is beneficial to you. Yeah. Maybe him as an artist, but also as you as a support network for yeah. what you need to do to yeah. make, to push his career forward. Yeah, and again, that's, that's balance as well. I think um, I am very, very fortunate modest you know I've been here 10 years and Richard and Harry have have basically you know they've been my mentors for basically a third of my life you know to have that at your fingertips and at the end of a phone to have someone that you know has got your back and that can help guide your career as a manager as well as me guiding Ollie's career I think is has been invaluable to me you know uh, they can they're, they're always concerned about you know my mental health and how I'm feeling and it's it's just nice to have that support to, for someone to be able to look after you and say how are you doing and you need to take some time off you're working too hard and you need to go on holiday and and I think that for me that's just an amazing stability to have in the background um you know they've taught me a lot they but they've also really empowered me to make my own decisions make my own mistakes and I think I think for me just the character that I am I I like that assurance I like that support um it's another stress that I I can sort of offlay and have them sharing that burden with um and we're just a great partnership you know they really respect me they let me you know uh, work very flex you know flexible hours because they understand how hard I work and I think that goes hand in hand with proving that you know when you've been there for a long time they know I get my work done you know they let they let me work in Ibiza for a month you know because you came came to stay with me <laughs> thank you thank you Sarah's bosses for that beautiful house <laughs> yeah but I worked in Ibiza for a month because I was I'd done a you know an end of year campaign Q4 crazy schedule was absolutely exhausted and I said I want to go to Ibiza for a month and, and work there I'm going to check in every morning and do my emails Ollie's going to be off and then I'm gonna go out hiking I'm going to eat good food I'm going to drink nice wine but I just don't want to be at home I want to go away and, and work somewhere else and they were just yeah cool no no worries so taking it back to, you mentioned flexible working there. Yeah. yeah. Safe to say, not safe to say, is the truth to say that you have recently had your first I little have, one, little I boy. Have, yeah. And you've become a mum, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't even become a dad, so that would be a strange, I mean, I don't know if that can... Last time I checked, yep, yeah, I am last time officially still now a mum. Still a mum, it's all good. Um, how, 
has that changed you at all? Do you think it has? And and more, was there any fear when you became pregnant? Did you worry that you you would have to take t- more time off than you wanted to? Or? Yeah, I mean, genuinely, when I found out I was pregnant, one of the first things I did was work out, right, I'm doing September. That's kind of shit timing because Ollie's single's going to be out then. And then he's got an album. What? Oh, God, I've got to tell him that I'm going to go off on maternity leave when he's got an album out. My other baby, you know, it's it's it was thinking about the timing and I was panicking about how I would tell him. And I remember going round to his flat when I had my 12-week scan and feeling nervous going to tell him I was having a baby. I mean, that's crazy, but I knew he would always be supportive, but I was thinking it's not great timing. Um, And I kind of like, I sort of of sat him down and said, I've I've got something to tell you. And his face just dropped like she's got bad news. And I said, I'm pregnant and I'm due in September. (laughs) And he was like, so happy for me gave me a massive hug and was like oh my god that's incredible I'm so happy for you and then literally I just had this weight lifted off my shoulders I thought why was I worried about telling him like of course he's going to be supportive and of course he's going to be happy for me you know I've been with him nine years at that point um but it was me like I was you know just panicking about what's going to happen you know I've managed him as a day-to-day manager you know, on my own. He's not really had anyone else taking that role. So I kind of was just worried about how it would run. But, you know, that's another great thing of working for a big company because they could just cover me. It wasn't, if I was running my own company, that's, you know, maybe some people running their own company do think, how am I going to survive taking that time out when I'm running a business? There was another girl, Rosie, who, um, was is a great manager and they just you know got her to cover for me and and it was great because I knew she was a great manager I could relax when I was having my maternity leave because I knew that everything would run really smoothly I set the campaign up I worked extra hard to get everything front loaded and she ran the campaign that I put together so are you saying I would totally leave you never once checked your emails <laughs> okay no of no, course I, I checked my, <laughs> of course I checked my emails um no I, I did I, I did check my emails and I I checked in with her and I was always on WhatsApp but you know I the first the first six weeks I'd say are such a whirlwind I mean you feel like you've been hit by a bus you don't really have the mental capacity to be looking at 200 emails I kind of got a summer email each day and you know that was enough I just knew everything was running smoothly and it was more my curiosity and me being able to let go and just know that it's okay, he's in safe hands, his album will be fine. Do you think being a mum has allowed you to let go more? Because you know you now need to Definitely. have time with other things. So you're, you've been able to go, since I've, I've had a baby and I've, I've had my maternity, but actually now I'm a bit more relaxed so. at letting things just be. I think so. I think um, one thing I'd say, and obviously it's still early days, you know, I've, I've only got a seven month old, so I've only really been back at work a few months. But um, one thing I definitely think has changed is that I probably don't sweat the small stuff quite as much. I do learn to let some things go that used to really rile me. Um, you know, uh, Things like getting a bad review or, you know, or getting someone on social media or someone having a pop at him, you know, online or something like that. You know, they're they're stuff that I used to think that's taken up, can serve quite a lot of my energy where I've got riled about something and I discuss it and, you know... Those kind of things now, I just am like... the it's, It's kind of bigger picture stuff now. It's just maybe those kind of things just become a bit more irrelevant. I just think, what's the point of worrying about it? I can't change it. So if we take it back to you being a woman in the music industry, mm. which is something that we've discussed quite a bit on the pod, did you ever find or experience any barriers or negative sort of connotations towards you? I spoke to a manager the day who said that when she first started managing an artist and going to labels, they would think that it, it, she was his assistant yeah. and they sit in the room and they go when's the manager joining and yeah, she'll be absolutely. like uh, hello I am the manager yeah. have you ever experienced anything like that it definitely all the time all the time um but I kind of like that in a way and and I I think it's how you frame it in your mind because obviously 
if that was an insecurity, I could probably say that's really unfair, like, but I'm the manager and, and I want to assert my authority and why would you not think I'm the manager? But actually, I kind of t take pleasure in in and pride in managing someone successful and being quite unassuming, like people not necessarily realising that, you know, I'm at the helm or, you know, I've helped steer his career. And I actually think it's it's quite nice to correct people. I actually take quite pride in it i'm like yep yeah, no that's that's me no i'm not i'm not an assistant I'm, I'm actually his manager i think it's you know it's it's how you frame it in your mind it doesn't it doesn't really bother me um i find it quite funny because it's it tell it's more it tells more about the person that does the judging than than actually you know you be looking young i think for me not just being a a, a woman but I was 24 when I started managing him and I probably looked about 16. You know, I had a young face and I would be in a room with the tour manager who's six foot four um, and older than me and people would walk straight to him and start briefing him and he'd have to say, um, no, that, that's, that's Ollie's manager there. And um, it was just funny because they, then they'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, yeah, hi, yeah, that's me. And they'd say, oh, so, oh sorry, sorry, I, I didn't realise you were there. There's like, always um, a really interesting piece in the Jamie Oborn podcast where he said that one of the best pieces of advice he got was to just be silent in the room and let other people speak because sometimes if you just give them that space and silence, that you'll say a lot more about them than it ever will absolutely. about you. You know, and I've been in lots of meetings with, you know, brands or, you know, we were in a meeting with a film company and there was, there was probably like 40 people in there you know, a lot of people that have been in their industry for years and years and years and, you know, they don't necessarily think that you know what you're talking about or you're very, very experienced because, you know, I still look fairly young so they don't necessarily realise I've been doing it 15 years. But actually, I think it's, you know, it's just about proving yourself, being confident that you know your own business. It doesn't matter, I look young and I'm a woman but, you know, it hasn't hindered me in the industry. That's just a perception. And for me, that, that's not a problem. I, I'm happy to prove people wrong. What has been one of the biggest challenges you think you've faced as a music manager? What's been one of the toughest moments you can think back to the moment and think, God, that was tough, but I got through it? Um, it's hard. I, I, I haven't had any, like, really harrowing experiences or you know, really, really tough moments. I think, for me, I care a lot about Ollie and 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 what happens to him so I think I'm like an extension of him I think sometimes so I feel what he feels and I think that's that's just my personality I think it's it's hard to to shut that off you know if 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 he's upset by something you know I'm going to be upset by it if he's feeling low or depressed I'm going to feel I'm going to feel that from him you know and 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 I think um that's one thing that I've always found hard to not take it personally and to be pragmatic about things and uh, try and sort of detach yourself from things. But that's just who I am. And, you know, I've got I've got to embrace the fact that, yeah, I, f I feel I feel for him when he's, you know, not deserved the credit that he deserves, not get doesn't get the credit he deserves and things like that. You know, I think that for me as a manager is something I've, I find quite hard. Is there anything big or small that you would do differently if you could go back in time? I, don't, I genuinely don't think I would do anything differently because I think even some of the mistakes that I've made, I think, you know, at the start of his career, we would just take every opportunity and we did all kinds of stuff, you know. We did some shit that really I don't <laughs> think probably now I would want him to do. But at the time, it was right because it was, you know, someone else would have taken that opportunity and someone else, another artist would have done it. I think we we did all that and we weren't as selective. And then I think now, as a manager, years later, you kind of think, right, now that's not right now. And But I wouldn't have changed it then. You know, I think that was all sort of stuff that at the time we felt was the right thing to do. Um, and we've learned from it. And I think, again, it sort of shapes you as a manager as well, making those mistakes. What's the thing that you're most proud of? Apart from your child, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a pretty good achievement. Um, actually, um, you know, 
having number one albums, number one singles with Ollie, selling out the O2, all those kind of milestones for me, amazing as a manager. But actually, kind of going full circle for me, um, a couple of years ago, being at Glastonbury and seeing my brother headline Glastonbury with Adele, that was just amazing for me. It's a very proud moment because, you know, he kind of got me into this industry um, from when he was 16 and to see him playing guitar on the main stage at one of my favourite places in the world, probably with you. <laughs> um, probably. <laughs> um, it was just amazing. And, you know, I got quite emotional, actually. Just, yeah, cried a lot. Um, and just was just so proud to see him headlining Glastonbury. It's just incredible. So what I think is really interesting about Ollie and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is he's one of those artists that you've managed to bridge that gap and take him into TV. Mm. And not every artist can do that. Did you always have that vision for him? Did you always think he's that character that we can, he can do his music, he can do his albums, but I think that there's something there that we can work the other side? Or did it something that just came naturally? How did you make that It was that It push? was something that we sort of, obviously we recognised that, you know, Ollie has bags of personality and charisma. He's a great personality. So uh, we knew that TV as a medium was going to be, great for him and obviously we knew that you know him being in people's living rooms on x factor every week was was a brilliant thing for him so actually it was when um the opportunity presented itself to him for him to co-host extra factor with caroline flack that was only two years into his career that he got that opportunity and you know i always knew that ollie was a grafter he was incredibly hard working so when that opportunity came, we just knew that he would take the opportunity and run with it. And he was just absolutely brilliant on Extra Factor because he was just himself. He was just having fun, tons of character, tons of personality, and it really helped his music. So it kind of went hand in hand. And when we kind of saw that, that people loved him on TV and it, we thought it made a difference to his album and his music, um, it's something that we've always known is something that we would keep alongside his music. So you've been with him for 10 years, mm -hmm. but you've seen that really interesting transition from when it was all, not all physicals, but iTunes, still buying albums in supermarkets, to now it's just streaming, streaming, streaming. How have you, how has that changed how you market and how you look after Ollie now? Has that changed things? It's massively changed. Um, it's something that, as a manager, you just constantly have to learn, constantly have to evolve, reassess. You know, we have endless meetings with the record company to, you know, analyse his demographic and how we can move it forward, how we can change, evolve, reach new fans, uh, educate his demographic on streaming. You know, it's it's something that that we're constantly learning and and we move the dial a bit more each time. Um, but it's, you know, when I, when I started with him, you know, in 2009, social media just started. I mean, that's how much it has changed. It was, you know, let's get you a Twitter account um, and, you know, let's figure out how this platform works in 2009 to now how, you know, streaming in its infancy, social media in its infancy, you know, it's a huge, huge change. And, um, you know, I think one of the things for me that has gone hand in hand with that uh, change is, is fans' attention span and, you know, social media is so instant people ex they expect to know things instantly and I think in the last 10 years not only has there been massive technological advancements and you know the charts are different and all these different kind of things but I just think generationally that there's been a huge cultural shift and I think that's something that I uh you know you can't there's only so much reading and learning you can do about all the technological advancements and social media and, and, and everything that's moving forward. But learning about how people consume music and what they how they value music and, and things like that is something that I think is probably one of the biggest challenges that's happened in the last 10 years. You know, fan bases retaining people's attention span that's just something that has just massively, massively changed and something that, that's become a huge challenge for us. So looking forward now in the industry and your career as a manager, what are you most excited about and what are you most looking forward to for the future? 
what I'm excited about, I think um, one of the things I'm really excited about actually is how um, I feel that the the market has opened up as a global market now. It's something that um, I'm finding fascinating. Uh, we've just had a big hit in China, for instance, and we don't. We've only just been there to capitalise off this this success. But I find it absolutely fascinating that you can have a hit in China and it's basically its its own world. You know, he has he's had 4.8 billion streams of a song that wasn't even a single over here. And, um, you know, for me to be able to go to China and work a market that feels like it's so completely different to the Western market and quite a closed, separate entity, um, the fact that they're really opening up, they're being ve they're very keen to work with Western artists, they're very keen to establish his career in China. I mean, that's just incredibly exciting, I think. That's a market I never dreamed of selling records in or being able to work. Um, and I think the world's just getting to be a much smaller place it, you know you can you can connect with fans and markets all over the world you know from the internet and and that's something that when we started we were going out doing eight weeks of promo in Germany to try and you know get a record away and now you know you can just put a record out on Spotify and it can just connect somewhere like China and end up having a life of its own that's just really exciting obviously it's also comes with its own challenges but it's also that's pretty cool you know to be able to have that uh, in different parts of the world it's just amazing how small the world is becoming in music and as we close I always like to ask what do you think the music management community as a whole could be doing better and what sort of support do you think you would like to see for music managers when you look back at your career and how you started out? I mean, obviously you were very lucky because you came into Modest and you had the mentorship you said, yeah. but what do you think now as if a young manager approached you for advice, what would you say to them? I mean, I would love to give advice to young managers and I think I probably could give some good advice um, to those people starting out. I think actually that's something that that would be really beneficial in the community to actually have like a mentorship system um, because, uh, you know, being able to have that person to, to guide you and, you know, just give you that confidence to that no one has a, ha a manual of how to, to be a music manager. You learn on the job. You know, there's you can do every management degree under the sun, but it can't give you practical you know, first-hand experience and you have to manage every artist differently and accordingly to, you know, how they want to be managed, what their aspiration is, what drives them. So I think that um, it's important to just have that confidence to go out there, you know, learn on the job. You've got to have the right skill set, obviously, in the background, but ultimately you've just got to, you've just got to um, learn from your decisions you've just got to have intuition um, common sense passion and I think you've just got to have that confidence to just to go for it and you know I think that that's for me um, what I think the community would benefit from for, for to have people out there to empower you to to go for you know go for what you want and just become a good manager. I think learn from your experience and, and, and just have that confidence to go and do it. I didn't think common sense was a prerequisite in the music industry, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. I mean, in all the time I've worked in it, I didn't think it was... I thought it was maybe like just but a... But it's not just science, is it? Someone might it's have. just... It's not <laughs> a science. And it's like, you know, when I explain to people that, you know, don't work in the industry, what I do for a living it's like every day is different and it's it's not really something that you can that you can even define what you do you just you know every day you just have to make decisions based on what you think is the right thing to do you know and and, I, and there's obviously lots of different people managing different different styles I'm actually very I'd probably say I'm quite measured and considered I'm one of these people that looks at both sides, weighs up the pros and cons and then makes a decision. But ultimately, you're making decisions every day. Should we do this? Should we not? Shall I bring this to him? Shall I not bother it with it? You know, bother him with it? Um, you know, you're making decisions all the time. So you, you have to you have to be assertive, um, but you have to just weigh everything up. And to me, that's to, 
I don't think there's any science behind it. To me, that's just common sense. That's me just making the right decisions based on my gut instinct. I always remember a manager saying to me when I years ago when I was talking about music management, and he said, and I, I said, do you think I should be a manager? How do you think it work? And he went, do you like chaos? Do you enjoy <laughs> chaos on a daily basis? Do you enjoy every part of your brain? Do you like putting out fires? Yeah. Do you are you were re, are you good with putting out fires? Yeah. And I was like maybe and he was like well if you don't like chaos don't get into the music industry there's no point and that always sticks with me when I see people just running around like headless chickens I just think oh there we go there's some chaos yeah multitask yeah try doing that with baby brain (laughs) that's not easy thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Sarah good luck with everything and say hello to the little one for me I will do and we'll see you soon thanks so much bye so there you go, Sarah there telling us all about her journey with Ollie. Um, what I really loved and one of the things that I, she said in the pod was actually there aren't many artists that have come out of reality TV and even get to make a second album, let alone six albums that Ollie's made now. So that's a pretty incredible career when you think about it. She's also I think, one of the first managers had on the pod that I think is part of a bigger management company, Modest. And she talked about how she finds that works for her and maybe that's something for managers to think about going forward. I think a lot of people feel like they want to go out and do it on their own, but obviously being in a big management company can really help you learn, grow. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic to cover and in fact, we probably need a whole other podcast about that. Do you go alone or do you buddy up and get that support? And every story is different, but it's brilliant to get that perspective from Sarah. And I love that you guys touched on her having a baby as well. And I guess how being a mum has helped her learn how to let go a bit. What's that phrase she said? Don't sweat the small stuff as much. It's, it's the bigger picture stuff that really matters. And it was great to have that perspective as well. Ah, oh, you and Sarah, I love the chat you guys had there. So thank you for that, Uh, Sophie. So that is it, episode four of How Did You Manage That? Once again, you can get in touch with us however you like on Twitter or Instagram at Manage That Pod. And we really do love to hear reactions or, you know, specifically to things that people have said in the podcast. The more specific, the better. And if there's anything you maybe want us to ask a future manager or some area of music management that you'd like us to go into in more detail, please do tweet us or Instagram us. That handle again is at manage that pod and once again thank you to our amazing sponsors AWOL and the MMF aka the Music Managers Forum who make this podcast possible and have helped us so much in getting it off the ground we will be back in your feed in another couple of weeks with another great conversation with a different music manager we will indeed thanks so much for listening everybody and we'll see you next time bye bye How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. Original music by Callum Wiseman.